All right, here we go. Episode 27. Summer rolling right along. Feels like it's closing in on me. It's going to end soon, which kind of feels like when the year ends. And then when the kids come back, as teachers feel, that is when the year begins. January 1st, that is not when the year feels like it begins. My calendar is askew. But enough about that. It has been a heavy week of studying family history in the house, which can be fun, can be weird, can be surreal to really trace back your roots, something we should all do. But for a lot of us, it's, yeah, I'll get to that later in life. I'll get to that. But it just so happens that this week, both my wife and I had reasons to study a little family history. And my realization after all of this is that people are having less children nowadays, Family sizes are a lot smaller, less babies, plenty of reasons why. But a few years ago, my wife received a book. You know the hit book, Rolag, from Norway to Minnesota. Yeah, don't you know? You know the book, the New York Times worstseller. But it's a family book with pictures of many relatives going back hundreds of years. And my wife, Shani, was, you know, looking back at her grandparents and great-grandparents on her mom's side those that immigrated from Norway, and she starts learning about the names, and she goes, oh yeah, I've heard about this person. Oh yes, I see. I'm related to this person. And it's interesting. But at one point she just goes, huh, I guess my great-grandma had 12 kids. 12 kids? So this would be her mom's grandma? Yeah. Like I said, it's going to be heavy note-taking today. I don't want you to miss any of this, so I will slow down for you. But 12 kids... Nowadays, if you heard somebody had 12 kids, you would actually think they were insane. You would wonder, what's wrong? What's wrong with your mind? But this was the norm. People just had kid after kid after kid after kid. You know, produce some employees to work on your farm or whatever the family business was. Keep going. There's no birth control. Women were not on the pill. No condoms back then. You want to have some sex? Yeah, then you might get pregnant. It's a risk we're willing to take and take and take again. And the reasons go well beyond that as well. But also you have to play the odds. If you want a big family, you have to realize, well, back then, not a lot of antibiotics. If a kid gets sick, there was a higher chance of death as a baby or a toddler. Really sad to think about. But if you had strep throat back then, it wasn't just, yeah, go to CVS or go to the doctor. It was, oh boy, it's not looking good. And a lot of women of the 1800s, I'm guessing, you know, would get attached. But then it was, hey, get right back on the saddle. Time to try again and again. So the idea of having four, five, six, seven kids was totally normal. And I don't think there was an emphasis placed on each birth being so sacred and special. You know, I don't think in the 1800s, old Margit was having a baby gender reveal. Ah, yeah, fill the pinata. If it's pink powder, it's a girl. And if it's blue powder, it's a boy. Take a swing, Margit. Go ahead. Take a swing now. Margit's going to find out the gender of her 11th child. Everyone gather around the village. I'm guessing there weren't baby showers where everybody comes and you open gifts. You know, Thelma's registered at the general store. Everybody should buy her a binky and a lavi and a bottle warmer and a jungle gym. Think about all the things we flood our babies with. And we feel like we need them all. Make sure you get Thelma her ergo. Of course, none of this existed back then. But we are convinced that we need every contraption, appliance, 
accessory to stuff into that diaper bag to make their lives more comfy. Maybe we do need it. We've evolved that way, but it is amazing to think about. Back in 1800, the year 1800, the average amount of babies, I believe, was like seven, seven or eight. Nowadays in America, the average is like 2.3. It's weird that I'm giving you a point, right? 2.3. Anybody having a point three baby? That's how the stats work, okay? I'm not crunching the numbers properly, but you get what I mean. And there was a study. I'm bringing you stats again. There was a study. That 30 years ago, the ideal family size was closer to four. And now when people are surveyed, they go, nah, closer to two. Big reasons are women don't exactly want to be tied to the home. Or women can't be tied to the home. Families rely on their incomes. Maternity leave in America, it's an ugly thing. Women don't get enough time off. Paid time off, I should say. Plus a lot of women, it's a generation of independent women who are not feeling the need to stay home and have 10 kids. And raise them on the farm. I have no clue what this accent is. It just sounds like an old accent to do. Raise them on the farm, yeah. And the costs. I guess we should not forget the costs. I think I read it's about $190,000 that you spend from 0 to 18 over a kid's life in America now. So from the time your kid is born to age 18, the average cost is about $190,000. And I guess that takes away the special aspects of it. You don't want to just extrapolate all costs every year and start calculating clothes, food, okay, medical bills. If you're just viewing your child as some number to calculate, it's not going to be so fun. But a lot of people are more aware than ever. I mean, daycare, we're starting some daycare action in August. That's daunting, simply because of the price tag that comes along with it. That's one of those necessities. They could charge anything. We have to say, yes, here you go. There you go. Okay, so why is it? Why are Americans having fewer babies? Why aren't we running up the score five, six, seven anymore? Some of my friends have three. My sister has three. I highly doubt I will have a friend who has four. I don't think I will have a friend that has four kids. So it'll be two or three. Or maybe some people will just have one. It almost feels like there's kind of a stigma against having one kid. It should be totally acceptable. Totally acceptable. Except for the fact that those parents are going to have to answer the question forever. So, when are you going to have another? All right. Young adults were surveyed in a New York Times article. These are people who thought when they were younger what they expected they wanted versus today. In reality, what they are going to have. It's far less. Far less. People maybe want more leisure time. Some personal freedom. But the number one reason why is that childcare is too expensive. So people are definitely looking at the costs. 64% of people in this survey said, yeah, it's too expensive. Other people who are having less kids than they want say they want more time for the children they do have. That's a good answer as well. If you have five kids, mathematically, your focus cannot be with all of them equally. Or maybe it can be. What do I know? Uh, Worried about the economy. These are reasons people are having less kids. Can't afford more. Uh, waited because of financial instability. They waited too long. Not enough paid family time leave. Worried about global instability. 37% of people surveyed said that. They're worried about global instability. Uh, Struggle with work and life balance. Worried about domestic politics. They met their partners too late in the game. Worried about climate change. Responsible for other family members. Yeah, these are things we don't always think about. Worried about population growth. 
uh, prioritizing education and career over parenting, splitting from a partner. Your partner doesn't want children. How about that? I've heard of that. People get married and they think, yeah, I'll convince them down the road to have kids. Good luck. And then the last reason 13% of people surveyed in this New York Times article said, I just don't think I'll be a good parent. I love that honesty. You know, we're all pretty much told, you'll be great. Isn't that what we say to people? When they reveal the news, hey, we're pregnant. Our response is, oh, you'll be great parents. Do we really mean that to everybody we say it to? No, of course not. But the people that actually possess that knowledge, hey, I won't be good at this. I really do not want to say goodbye to my free time. All of these reasons are valid. All of them. Personally, we want two. And I guess maybe it is because we're in our mid-30s. I guess that's a little late in the game. But two sounds good. Two sounds like it fills the car properly. Financially, two sounds tough. I'm not even going to say like two sounds manageable. Two sounds tough in elegant Marin County. But also, you have to have enough bedrooms for these kids, right? I don't think we're doing the old bunk beds and bunk beds. Here's a cot, here's a hammock, and you'll be on the trundle. Two to the futon. Anybody buying futons anymore? Remember the futon craze? You remember? So that was my wife's side of the family history study, reading this wonderful book. You've seen it, right? From Norway to Minnesota, the story of Rolag, Minnesota. Everybody who ended up in Rolag is related, so don't get married. You're all related. And then on my side, just yesterday morning, I heard very sad news, although not totally unexpected, that my 97-year-old great aunt had passed away peacefully. 97, folks. What a life. What a legend. This is my mom's aunt, my mom's mom's sister. Take notes, please. This is Aunt Evie, age 97, the last of her generation on my immediate family tree. And she was wonderful spectacular lady who lived in Pittsburgh, but she also came out to San Diego to live for a portion of the year. When I was living in San Diego, I got to see her a bunch. So I got to be pretty close with Aunt Evie. I'll never forget, I took her to Sideways, the great wine movie. And I was thinking she was probably in her late 80s at that point. I was like, Sideways, all right, it's rated R. Knew nothing about it. I knew I liked Paul Giamatti. And we sat there And I was wondering the whole time, how is she going to take this in? And then, towards the end of the movie, there is a full frontal male nudity scene where Paul Giamatti agrees to sneak into the house to grab Thomas Hayden Church's wallet because he left it there when he was having sex with the waitress. Have you seen Sideways? If you haven't, you won't understand this. But Paul Giamatti sneaks in because Thomas Hayden Church left his wallet there and he gets the wallet, but he's caught. So the big burly guy is butt naked with a stocking over his head, and he runs down the street chasing the car, and Aunt Evie was having a laugh attack. That is proof that a sense of humor runs deep within the roots of this family. Like an all-out laugh attack. So I was also having a laugh. I don't think it was directly at the movie, probably at my great aunt in her late 80s just loving this scene, this wild scene, probably the most wild scene of the whole movie. Or maybe in movie history. No, I shouldn't go that far. But Aunt Evie passed away, and she had five kids. Mimi, Marcy, Sherry, Rozzy, Moshe, as you should know. And her sister Harriet, my grandma, who had polio and lived a large percentage of her adult life in a wheelchair. Grandma Harriet had three. Sam, Monty, and Dory, my mom. Once again, I hope you're taking notes. Monty has a podcast. Let me give a plug. 
If you want to listen to him interview some interesting people, it's called So Important. There you go, Monty. The biggest Pirates baseball fan of all time. Pirates. Still naming teams Pirates. That's acceptable. Aren't they the criminals of the sea? The criminals of the ocean? See, I understand the controversy with the Redskins. You know, that name probably should go away. Actually, it definitely should go away. But Pirates? Why are we so okay with Pirates? Aren't they killing people in the ocean? Stealing from them? All right, I got off on a tangent. I forget what I was talking about. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The family history being studied this week. So Aunt Evie was interviewed by one of her grandkids, Cousin Benny. You know Cousin Benny. And he's worked in public radio himself. He was in Whitesburg, Kentucky, producing radio. And he interviewed Great Aunt Evie for 16 minutes, and it was amazing. Her responses were so deep and special. And it's going to be a capsule, how to remember somebody, audio. See, I love books, I love photos, but as you can tell, I love audio the most. And I played her voice for my wife, and my wife never met Great Aunt Evie, but she listened to the whole thing. And it was so personable, it was so raw, so real, and it brought her right into the room. And I feel like, yeah, my wife met her. The day before she died, we played the whole interview, and I was like, yeah, Benny did a great job of grabbing the essence of Aunt Evie, and she talked about her poetry, she talked about her family history. This lady wrote a book herself. As I'm talking about her, I'm starting to realize right now on the podcast that she has passed. So very, very sad, as she was a terrific woman. All right, had a maneuver out of that. Very tough, but I'm going to try. TV viewing habits in America. Ask yourself right now. You could put the pen down. No more note-taking on the old family trees. But TV viewing habits in America. Ask yourself right now, how many hours do you watch per day? Do you wake up with it? Is that how you receive your morning news? Do you go right to the TV, turn it on? Or is it more of an evening thing? I'll give you a chance to crunch the numbers, calculate it. How many hours? Well, according to a Nielsen study, and this was a shocking stat, Americans watch five hours and four minutes of television per day on average. That number is sickening. That makes me want to become anti-TV. The glow of the TV sucks us in. That's why they say no screen time for babies in their first year, because it'll take their attention away from all the other wonderful things, like looking at ducks and birds and appreciating trees and the sky and the clouds. You put a TV on, the baby's attention goes there. Well, I guess it doesn't stop. For adults, it remains there. Five hours and four fucking minutes on average of TV? Not to say I haven't done that. I mean, on NFL Sunday, come on. You wake up with the 10 a.m. game, get into the 1 p.m. game, and then Sunday night football. So, yeah, there are certain days during football season, I assume I'm watching about eight to nine hours. Okay, I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's true. And then Monday night, just got a text. But then Monday night, for the gamblers, right? Isn't that the history of Monday night football? Hey, give them a chance to win their money back. Then you're watching three more hours, not to mention if you're a college football fan. But that's just live sports I'm talking about. That's not pulling every American into their TV for five hours and four minutes a day. Some people may just have it on throughout dinner. It's just like background glow, background noise. But this Nielsen study, I think this is a year old, five hours, four minutes. I think this is the Netflix generation we're in right now. Netflix says people finish a season of a show in five days. That's kind of disgusting, right? A season of a show in five days. And of course I've done it. But they've changed the game. They've changed the paradigm. 
you used to watch a TV show like Perfect Strangers with Cousin Larry Appleton and Balky Bartokamas on Tuesday nights. And then you would wait a week and you didn't even think twice about it. Of course, you have to wait a week. And occasionally there was a to be continued. So you might think about it. You know, the quicksand episode. Uh Uh-oh, they're too close to the quicksand. Are they going to fall in? And then at the bottom of the screen, to be continued. You had to wait a week. Netflix, you don't even have to wait 10 seconds. It starts the clock at the bottom. Five, four, three, two, one, new episode. Boom. And you kind of rationalize. Yeah, I probably have another half hour in me. And then at the end of that episode, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, you know, I'm tired. Should go to bed. Should read. Should probably get enough sleep. But I probably have enough energy in me for another episode. So Netflix says people finish a full season in five days. I just did Last Chance You, and I think it's eight episodes in three days. Those are full one-hour episodes. Last Chance You on Netflix is a really exciting show. It's not for everybody, though. I don't even think it's just for sports fans, though. I'll say that. The premise of the show, real quick, it's a junior college football program. This is the third season of it. I guess the formula is find a wild coach who likes to yell at his players, verbally abuse them, but knows how to recruit the top talent, guys who have fallen out of the D1 programs for weed or personal issues or anger issues, or they didn't make grades, so they have to do a year at a JC just to get back on track, and they all have the same dream. NFL, NFL, NFL. And every season, Netflix goes back to their hometowns, and you get to see the rugged, sad ghettos that a lot of them are from. And that's the perspective I need whenever I start whining about, oh, back pain, or I didn't get my seven or eight hours of sleep. You watch some of these episodes of Last Chance You, and you see these unfortunate backgrounds of some of these players. All of a sudden, just for me personally, I'll say, I don't feel so bad about the little things that I complain about. And then it makes you just sad and pissed off at the system. It's crumbled for so many young people. We'd love to say education is the key, but if they're living in these areas where they're scared to go to sleep, how could their focus be on academics? And that's why I know Chris Rock makes a joke about it. You know, for young black kids in America, you better have a jump shot or want to be a rapper. You know, Chris Rock tends to make that funny, but we all know it's not a funny topic. The key to getting out of the ghetto should not just be sports or rap. And that's what the show focuses on. Luckily, each season, there's like a solid educator who tries to get through to these kids. Do they really? I don't know. The editing must be phenomenal because they make it look like there are breakthroughs. And then you just have to Google, what happened to this guy? What happened to Emmett? What happened to Malik? What happened to Dante? You just start Googling the show because you need to know. That's reality TV. You're so invested. And then five minutes later, you're like, eh, may never hear about that kid again. So I've come to the finish line of my TV watching. I'm still going to watch, but I'm going to change my habits. Guaranteed. Changing my habits. I'm going to say one hour and 11 minutes per day. And you're probably saying, bullshit, Rosenberg. What about Warriors basketball or Aztecs football? And I'm saying you're probably right, but let me at least lie to you and say an hour 11 on most days. I can do it. Pick and choose. Don't become committed to too many shows at once. I know myself. Saturday Night Live will be a staple, but I could watch that over three days and have zero to one laughs. 60 minutes? You fast forward enough, that could be a 40-minute show. I'm going to get rid of HBO. That's a waste of money. I'm done with it. 
I'm not going to watch every single stand-up comedy special. I'm not going to watch every single sports documentary. Yes, I am. I'm not going to watch every dumb comedy starring Will Ferrell or Zach Galifianakis. Okay, now I'm just contradicting myself because you know I'm about to do all of that. But still, I want to. I want to change. Who's watching five hours and four minutes, though? That'll just make you dumber, right? We can all agree. If you're consuming that much TV, think about the things you're not consuming. That could actually stimulate your brain. Isn't it weird how much TV you can watch? We all know we could watch five hours. But when it comes to reading three, four pages, that could make you sleepy. I think Bill Burr has a joke about that. It's weird. We all aspire to read more. A lot of people do. But once you pick up the book, three, four, five pages in, your eyes get heavy. It's the best cure for insomnia, but still, I've been reading Kitchen Confidential, this Anthony Bourdain book. It's really good, but I get tired. I want to consume more of the book each time I sit down with it. So I guess the key is less TV time. But that Netflix model, that is shaping our culture. Binge, 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 binge watch a full season in less than a week. You know what it causes you to do? Have that, oh, then what? Now what do I watch? And then you scroll and you realize, oh, there's a new show? Jason Bateman? Oh, there's a new movie with David Spade? Gotta watch it. Oh, there's a new stand-up comedy special? Netflix has the most incredible layout. Just the way they show you what's trending, what's popular, what you've watched, what you probably will like, the percentages. It all just gets through to you. Yeah, they're a success. You start streaming live sports and I'm done with cable, folks. I'm done. One thing I will not be consuming is Comedy Central. Comedy Central used to be so damn good. Remember the early 90s? Comedy Central, endless stand-up comedy. Stand-up, stand-up. Two-drink minimum. Premium blend. All these shows with actual stand-up comedians getting their screen time, which will launch a career. Not quite Johnny Carson, but still, if you got on Comedy Central in the early 90s, you probably were able to headline some clubs. And then they had good shows. Nowadays, Comedy Central seems like they're just showing Futurama marathons or marathons of The Office. And then, yeah, I know they still have South Park. That's probably still a good show, even though I fell off. And The Daily Show without Jon Stewart. I know it's Trevor Noah. I don't really tune into that. Colbert Rapport, that's done. So I don't understand why Comedy Central still exists. The Bruce Willis roast? Not funny. Why are they roasting Bruce Willis? Aren't we supposed to roast people who are roast-worthy? Isn't he just a good-looking success? What negative things can you say about Bruce Willis? Hey, you're good-looking with a lot of money and a terrific career. What am I missing? You got to find the people that need to be roasted. Not Bruce, folks. Not Bruce. That's the most important point I'll make all summer. Not Bruce. You don't roast Bruce. But Comedy Central used to have it all. Win Ben Stein's money? I will. Crank Yankers, the puppets who made crank calls? Phenomenal. Reno 911. There's probably so many shows I can't think of right now on Comedy Central that have been really good. But yeah, that channel, it's almost extinct. They're just showing marathons. Plus, whenever they show a movie, you can't watch a movie with commercials and censoring swear words. You can't watch a movie on TV. Who's watching a movie on TBS where they're changing the F word? Changing the B word, changing the D word, the S word, the C word. No, I need to hear all the words. And then a commercial break. So long that you forget what movie you're watching. Can't do it. Won't do it. 
All right, do you realize, I'm going to ask you this question, some people just wake up and function without coffee or caffeine. I've met people like this. It's a rare breed, but some people do it. They just wake up and they start to function. They probably yawn, stretch their arms, brush their teeth, and then go to work. I mean, adults, no coffee, no caffeine. You know what they are doing? They're proving that it is possible. So any coffee drinker is an addict, a drug addict, stimulant, need it. Me personally, if I don't have two cups of coffee minimum or a fat thermos during the school year, then I'll get a headache. It's not even like I'll be tired. I'll just have a dull headache. So of course I have developed a dependence and it all goes back to, I think my first year in radio when coffee was just always hot and ready for the hosts. It was great. I would feel unprepared to do a radio show if I did not have a full, full cup of hot coffee right next to me. Sipping it throughout the show, feeling like, oh yeah, now my mind is going. Now my brain is snapping off some thoughts. And just to answer your next question, yes, yes, I'm drinking coffee right now as I do this special podcast. Funding for this podcast is provided by Oshman's Supersports, where you can run around the track and lift weights and hit a golf ball. Does anybody remember Oshman's? Are sporting goods stores still like that, where you just get to use everything? I used to go in there to work out, I feel like. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think my mom would just drop me off at Oshman's and I would run around the track, I'd play ping pong, I'd putt, I'd go to the driving range, the virtual driving range. I even think they had air hockey. It was like a 40-minute workout to go to Oshman's, and I would buy nothing, maybe a rosin bag, to play catch with Rick, but that's about it. God, what was I talking about? Yes, coffee. Coffee, oh yes. So people that don't drink it, I know a few, and if they wake up and they go, yeah, but I drink green tea, or I still drink Pepsi or Coke in the morning, that's disgusting, but some people do then I'm not talking to you either. I'm talking about the people that are not addicted to caffeine and they just wake up and start to function. Made me question one thing. What if it were never invented? I guess we all could do that, right? Like if we were never introduced to coffee, we wouldn't need it. I could be one of those people. But because we were all introduced to it, all of us coffee addicts at some point, it made us feel like we needed it because we had this symptom called tired. Oh, we got to race through the symptom called tired. Tired goes away. If I never developed this addiction to caffeine, then I wouldn't look at tired as like something I got to solve immediately. Tired would go away. It would dissipate. I would wake up naturally. These adults who are not in any way dependent on caffeine are proving that we didn't need it. Humans didn't need it, but it's big business and it's natural resources and natural resources can create wars. Where am I going with this? I have no clue. I guess I'll end with a grocery store observation. Uh, Who's getting the tuna in oil? Where are my canned tuna fans out there? All right. Where are my canned tuna enthusiasts? A lot of protein. Governor Schwarzenegger. I don't call him Arnold. He was our governor. Governor Schwarzenegger said if you have a can of tuna after your workout, it'll replenish the proteins in your body. I don't know what that means, Arnold. But the governor told me, canned tuna. So I've been a canned tuna person my whole life. Chunk light in water. You're saying, why not solid albacore? Why not the white albacore? I don't know. You're probably wondering how much mayo I use. And I tell you, no, Greek yogurt and a little sea salt. And you're going, what? Greek yogurt? And I say, try it. A little splash of olive oil in there. 
you got to get the protein, all right? You got to work your tries, your lats, your pectorials, your abdominals, and then get the protein. Your lat pulldowns, your squats. If I did squats, I would look like a block of a human. I got to avoid anything that would make me look stockier. That's my goal in life, to not become stockier. I could easily see myself at age 50 just looking like a nugget. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tuna in oil. Why? We've all made the mistake, right? Tuna can enthusiasts. You didn't really read the label. You got the oil. You opened it and wondered, what's going on here? What's the deal? Got to go tuna in water. All right. That'll be my last grocery store observation. I know it's scintillating, but I got to end it here. That's episode 27. All right. Went in a lot of directions, but we'll dedicate this one to Great Aunt Debbie. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm there, at jrosenberg957. Grab that book off Amazon, Suddenly Facing Reality. Or tweet at me. Send me a free copy. And I will, with a free headshot featuring dandruff, like the Head & Shoulders commercials. All headshots need a little bit of dandruff on your black turtleneck. All right, I'm out of here. Episode 27 in the books. I'll talk to you soon.